Welcome back, guys, to the Football MD Podcast. Today is Monday, July 30th. I am your host, Daniel Ronan, joined as always with my co-host, Mike Bowling. Thanks for joining us, and we hope that you continue to do so. Remember, follow us on all of our social media sites, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Podcast. You can also email us at footballmdpod at gmail.com or head over to our website, footballmdpodcast.com. Over the last four weeks, we've been running through our positional rankings, starting with quarterbacks, running backs, and last week we started our wide receiver rankings. On that episode, we discussed our top 15 wide receivers for 2018. This week, we're going to be finishing up at that position with our wide receivers ranked 16 through 30. Before we do that, as always, we're going to start off our episodes with some breaking news around the league. First on the list for the breaking news this week was Andrew Luck. I'll obviously let Mike take this one over. Yeah, all signs are pointing up for Andrew Luck. I saw a video of him and T.Y. Hillen connecting on a few passes. Everything looks great. He's been in the media saying that he feels better than he has in over a year. So obviously that's great news moving into 2018. We'll see how that holds up throughout the offseason and during preseason games. But definitely expect to see Andrew Luck moving up in rankings and on your draft boards. That first hit, the first hit that he takes, how nervous are you going to be during that first hit? Oh my god, I'm going to be holding my breath until probably the next day. See how he feels waking up the next morning. I'm going to want to be on his email list, just getting constant updates from his shoulder. Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. You know, It's great to see him on the practice field. It's great to see him with the team, obviously, team activities, all that. Until he gets in some pads and takes some NFL-style hits, and he's not going to get that at practice. He's not going to get it from the guys on the defense. They're not going to do that. Obviously, everybody on his team knows, A, how valuable he is, and B, his whole injury situation. So I am sure, I don't know what color they put their quarterbacks in, whether it's a red jersey or a black jersey or whatever it might be, but whatever it is, it's going to say, don't hit Andrew Luck. That's for sure. Moving on to the next topic of the week. Bunch of Falcons getting signed, so I'll take this one. We got the extension for Jake Matthews. Five years, $75 Shore up that left tackle spot. They drafted Jake Matthews. He's definitely not a top five in my in the position, in my opinion. Is he an above average left tackle? Yes. And does he deserve that money? I believe that's where the market is going. So although it seems a little high, it's just all the markets are being inflated. So I'm okay with that money, especially because he is consistently there for us. He's available and he gives us consistent play at left tackle position. Obviously, Julio Jones had his contract reworked. They gave him an extra $2.9 million, lowering his base salary a little bit to nine, but he should make a total of about 13, 13 and a half million this year. So a little bit more than he was set to make originally. Keep him happy, get him in the doors and let Let's get focused on a Super Bowl run. Yeah, I think that was a great move by the Falcons. They were able to kind of appease Julio Jones while still keeping their cap space situated where they could pay their younger studs like Jake Matthews and hopefully coming in the next few days or weeks shore up some spots on their defense as well. Well, yeah, they got definitely got a bunch of young guys on their defense. I know Ricardo Allen is up for and so is Grady Jarrett. Grady Jarrett was a fifth round pick for the Atlanta Falcons and has been a dominant player in that interior of the defense. Like you said, a bunch of young guys there. That got to get resigned. So, what Thomas Dimitrov and Dan Quinn are talking about a mutually beneficial, neutral <laughs> rebargaining of, of the contract. They call it neutral because it's not prohibiting them from working out any other contracts, just like you said. But as far as I'm concerned, from the Falcons fan perspective, the best and the most significant extension is that of Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov. Thomas Dimitrov, his value is seen just by looking at that roster, top to bottom, out of this world talent. And Dan Quinn, check out our Instagram. I uh, uploaded a l- short video this week talking about his credentials, but he's been an awesome coach for us. Obviously, from a credential standpoint, he's been successful. But also just, you know, you get a vibe, you get a feel from a coach. The program seems to be training upward. The in-brotherhood, this year it's respect the hustle. It's just, they always have these little sayings, these little motivational ideas. It really seems to establish the culture in the building and really get the team on the same page. The next big contract extension from the past week was LA Rams running back Todd Gurley, who signed a four-year $60 million extension with $45 million guaranteed. This is a huge contract for the running back that had a stellar season in 2017. And the interesting part about this deal is that it's very front-loaded. He's getting $21 million up front, but his base salary will drop down to $5 million 
for the final two years of his contract in 2022 and 2023. That will put him outside of the top 10 highest paid at the position. And there are some semi-anti-holdout provisions baked in there. There's currently a $1 million roster bonus and a very large $4 million training camp reporting bonus. So although his salaries will be dropping at the later part of his contract, the Rams were very strategic in baking in those stipulations where they'll hopefully be able to avoid holdout situations that the Falcons and other teams had to deal with this offseason. That's huge, mainly from the standpoint of the cap and the inflation that I talked about earlier. The cap goes up every year. Obviously, each market for each position, that value goes up every year. So within year, one year or two years time, the money that you're being paid now is not going to be the top tier at the position. So that ensures that when that occurs, that he's still showing up. Julio Jones signed the highest contract in the history for any wide receiver in 2015. After just two years into his contract, he's no longer the highest paid wide receiver. He was outside the top 10. That's obviously what upset him being a top tier guy. And that's what started the holdout rumor. That's why it's so important to get those details worked into the contract. So you don't have the holdout situation. This also ties into another Rams player, Aaron Donald, who is currently holding out until he gets a contract extension. The Rams have been paying players. They just paid Todd Gurley. They paid Brandon Cooks, who still hasn't played a snap for the Los Angeles Rams, yet they have failed to sign their star defensive tackle, who's arguably the best player on that team, to a long-term extension. Keep in mind, Aaron Donald has been adamant that he will not play under his current situation. Realistically, to me, what that's saying to me is that they can't come to a deal, and that's probably because he's trying to do something similar to what Le'Veon Bell did in resetting that market for the interior defense alignment. He probably feels that they're being underpaid, underutilized, which is crazy because Albert Hainsworth had a $100 million contract he never even played for. (laughs) I know that, you know, defense alignment are usually pretty well compensated, but obviously from his perspective, that market needs to be reset and he plans on doing so. Lastly, before we move on to our wide receiver rankings, Taylor Lewan. He did something similar like we just discussed with Aaron Donald and Le'Veon on Bell. He pretty much reset that market with a five-year, $80 million, $50 million guaranteed contract, the highest of any offensive lineman in the NFL. And straight from Mike Bowe himself, our resident offensive line specialist, 6'7", 320 pounds, absolute bulldozer in the run game, and a very reliable blindside blocker. Athletic in space and gets on second and third level with the best of them, usually on an island with the other team's best pass rusher and does more than just hold his own. Taylor Lewan was even quoted saying, that is not what I am here to do at all. I am here to take over this league and make sure my presence is known and all the while be a team guy. That is what it is all about. Taylor Lewan, if not the best, one of the best left tackles in the NFL. So well-deserved and congratulations. Let's move on to our main segment. The reason that you guys are all here, our wide receivers, 16 through 30. Starting off with Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver Tyreek Hill. Hill is currently going at the back of the third round. Last season, he was arguably the most electric player in the NFL. He finished more games as a wide receiver one or two, that's in the top 24th position, than A.J. Green, Larry Fitzgerald, Keenan Allen, and Adam Thielen. And Pro Football Focus actually gave him the highest wide receiver rating in 2017. The wide receiver rating is based off of a quarterback's passer rating when targeting the wide receiver. So he was extremely efficient for the Kansas City Chiefs last year. My only issues with Tyreek Hill, who actually comes in as wide receiver 18 in my personal rankings, are that all seven of his touchdowns were from at least 20 yards out. Wait a second, that's something you have against him? Are you kidding me? <laughs> but no. You mean the fact that he s- scores from, from deep? He can score from <laughs> anywhere on the field? That he has breakaway speed? That's a negative? Yeah. Well, my only knock is that he wasn't getting targeted very much in the red zone, and I think it's hard to project that he's going to continue to get those long touchdowns year in and year out. Although I will say if there's anyone in the NFL that can do that, it's Tyreek Hill. Yeah, more seriously, I get what you're saying. Lack of red zone targets is definitely a concern. But that being said, it kind of is just his play style, right? Right. He's a burner down the sideline. Don't get me wrong. He's a very shifty and, and, and player. He, he can definitely do some things in some open space, but he probably, I don't know, these are guessing numbers, but I'm sure the majority of those 20 plus yard touchdowns are streak routes down the sideline. You know what I'm saying? So it just plays into what he does well. 
And I think this year that can only improve because you have Patrick Mahomes who supposedly can throw it 80, 85 yards. If that is the case, that'll play well into that big playability from Mahomes and Tariq Hill. Going to love to see that this year. I am much higher on Tyreek Hill. I have Tyreek Hill at number 12 in my personal rankings. So that's why he comes in at 16 for us because Mike's a little bit lower, but... Yeah, Tyreek Hill, either way, he is going to be a wide receiver one or a wide receiver two pretty much every single week. I just think that he's currently being drafted at his ceiling, and I do like Patrick Mahomes. People are assuming that he's going to be an upgrade from Alex Smith, who really played at an MVP level last season for the majority of the season. Oh, definitely. So even though I do think Mahomes will do well in that offense, I don't think that he's going to be able to support two top 30 wide receivers in Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins, a top 10 running back in Kareem Hunt, and a top three tight end in Travis Kelsey. I do think a lot of that will come to fruition, but somebody is going to be a bust for this offense in 2018. And there is a high correlation between targets and fantasy points. And Hill basically destroyed that correlation last season. His fantasy points were much higher than wide receivers who received the same amount of targets that he had. And as I mentioned, he does have game-breaking talents. So he may be the anomaly for that metric, but I think he could just be a huge disappointment if things do go wrong. And this is, again, the same strategy that I employ with a ton of other teams that if I'm not really sure, if I'm not 100% confident on a player, I'll take the cheaper guy. And that currently is Sammy Watkins, who we'll be talking about a little bit later. Coming in at number 17 on our list, Allen Robinson. Obviously, with the injury last year, has been out of football for quite a while. Signed a new contract with a new team this year in Chicago with the Bears. Obviously, it's a little nerve-wracking being a wide receiver in Chicago right now. You had multiple games last year that were under 10 passes completed with Mitchell Trubisky. So, I imagine that those numbers are going to go up with the new offense coordinator and Matt Nagy. But, obviously, they are trying to bring Trubisky along slow and let him develop, which I approve of, but that might not be the best situation for Allen Robinson. Now, looking back at Allen Robinson before the injury last year, he had one decent season and then one really, really good season. And that really, really good season was 14 touchdowns over 1,000 yards. I think it was 1,500 yards even. So he can be productive. He can be a wide receiver one. But I'd be afraid with the little bit of inconsistency, obviously, from year to year. And I'd be a little bit skeptical of the fact that he's been out for a little while. Again, when we talked about running backs, I talked about how high I am on Jordan Howard. I had Jordan Howard as a top 10 back, in my opinion. If that trend continues where Howard keeps improving and Howard keeps garnering a lot of the offense, which Matt Nagy, I don't know if you know, in an interview just recently said he doesn't see Howard as a first and second down back. He sees him as a third down back and said that he would be crazy to not utilize Howard as much as possible. So again, I think like just like I had predicted earlier, I think a lot of the offense is going to still go through Howard. So the only thing is with Taylor Gabriel, Trey Burton, Allen Robinson, Kevin White, Anthony Miller, a couple of draft picks, it might be a little bit hard to garner some targets. The Bears definitely have a number of decent pass catching options, as you mentioned, including running back Tariq Cohen. However, a lot of these pieces are new parts of the that offense, that's kind of a plus, in my opinion, for Allen Robinson. I'm not expecting any of the pass catchers, whether it's Trey Burton, Anthony Miller, Taylor Gabriel, to have a good rapport with Mitch Trubisky at this point. So they're all going to be starting from the same place. And I just don't think that you sign a player like Allen Robinson to not feature him. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets right around 120 targets or upwards of that. And last season, no receivers with 109 or more targets finished outside of the top 25 at the position. So I definitely think that Allen Robinson is in a safe place to return value on his current ADP going at the back of the fourth, early fifth round. Coming in at number 18 on our consensus wide receiver rankings is Oakland Raiders wide receiver Amari Cooper. Currently going in the early fourth round, I have seen him go even in the fifth, really no later than that. Last season was definitely a down year for the wide receiver. He's eclipsed 1,000 yards in each of his first two seasons. Last year, I don't think he surpassed 750 yards. We also saw his receptions drop, so obviously that's concerning, but I'm looking at it more as it was just a down year for the Oakland Raiders as a whole. And with John Gruden coming in this season, I think that he is looking to feature Amari Cooper as the predominant pass catcher on that team. Looking back at Amari Cooper's stats over his career, he has 22 career games where he's seen eight or more targets. In those 22 games, he's currently averaging 18 fantasy points per game. He also has 13 games where he's seen 10 or more targets. 
In those 13 games with 10 or more targets, Cooper is averaging 21.8 fantasy points. Combine that with other pass catching options, Michael Crabtree, Corderell Patterson, and Clive Walford, who all combined for 42.2% of the Raiders' red zone targets in 2017, no longer being on the team. And I think Cooper is definitely in line for some positive regression, although I really don't know what John Gruden is trying to do on this team. He's came out and said that he wants the offense to revolve around Amari Cooper. He's also said that he wants to win games games by running the ball and being dominant on the ground. So still some uncertainty there, which is what's keeping him out of top 15 consideration for me. Yeah, see, the thing is, what John Gruden is talking about is, yeah, he wants Amari Cooper involved, but it's just an older style kind of football that John Gruden is expecting to run in Oakland, where they are going to run, run off the run game. And back in the day, when you had just a strong run game, you had maybe one or two pass catchers on the team, but you always had a predominant number one guy who was like your lead lead wide receiver who garnered most of the targets and you relied on him heavily in the passing game. Now, obviously, with the West Coast offense and more passing, you know, players, now quarterbacks try to distribute the ball a little bit more and get everybody involved and keep te- other teams guessing. I just, I just don't think that's going to be an issue, him trying to go more to the run game. I think that's actually going to help Cooper because I think they'll have some success in the run game but obviously you have a top flight quarterback in Derek Carr not last year but I believe two years ago he was top 10 in the top 100 list for the NFL yeah so that's another thing that I have against Cooper I'm not a big fan of Derek Carr I know that we have seen flashes of him in the past but I think the Derek Carr that we saw last season is more in line with the type of player that he is whether I'm right or wrong about that still has to be seen no absolutely and the good thing about the quarterback position as you can see with Jameis is the longevity of it so being that you get a long time you're guaranteed like Eli to have up and down years you know right. he's a, Eli's had years where he is you know throwing the most interceptions in the league and he you know they went eight and eight or worse three and 13 whatever it might be but at the same time you know he's also had seasons where he plays very well and he's topping touchdowns and he's topping yards and you know he might not have ever led or ever been an MVP but he's a solid quarterback and Derek Carr we've seen him have almost an MVP caliber season obviously year in and year out there might be some fluctuation but for the most part he is still a developing quarterback at his age in my opinion he's going to get better especially with the help of Gruden so yeah I like Cooper I'm, I'm a big fan of everything they got going on there right now they also what people don't realize about the Raiders I know we're talking about wide receivers right now but they brought in two defensive players this year in the draft they also brought in two defensive players last year in the draft who never played who are being reintroduced this year to the defense so you have four guys coming in it's an influx of talent my main point there is that you don't know exactly what we're getting because it's not the same Oakland team as last year right that's the main point so it's always hard to judge these kind of situations new coach you know new weapons around the quarterback when a coach says that they're going to change their strategy up and they're going to be a different kind of team and then like the defense so we're going to be looking at a new look Oakland Raiders I just think that that that's going to be good for Amari Cooper moving on to number 19 is Alshon Jeffrey of the Philadelphia Eagles. Alshon Jeffrey last year, 57 receptions, 789 yards. That's the lowest he's had since his rookie season. And he also has his second highest amount of touchdowns with nine. He only has one other season higher and it's with 10. I think you kind of know what you're getting here. I don't think he's going to be that 80 target, 1,400 yards receiving, and 10 touchdown guy that he was in Chicago, just because they're not going to ask him to do that. Eagles are going to be a little bit more well-rounded. They're going to target different people. Obviously, Zach Ertz is heavily involved. You have Nelson Aguilar in the slot. They signed Wallace, the burner, who can stretch the field. They have the same roles that they had last year. Torrey Smith was the burner. He could take the top off of defense. The good thing about Jeffrey is his size. He'll be getting the red zone target. So I think you could still see those nine touchdowns that you saw from last year. But I think, you know, you're right on par with 789 yards. Maybe he gets a little bit more, 900, but I don't see him breaking that 1,000 yards in that offense. Agreed, and that's the only reason why he's outside of my top 15. He comes in at number 20 for me. Last season, he finishes the wide receiver 15, and that was mainly on the back of his nine touchdowns. Keep in mind, he didn't eclipse 60 receptions or 800 yards last season, and he only had a catch percentage of 47%. The silver lining here for Alshon Jeffrey is that he's a great red zone threat, and he's going to bring down touchdowns. 
I wouldn't be surprised if he's upwards of double digits yet again, even though I am expecting touchdown regression from Carson Wentz in 2018. The second concern that I have with Alshon Jeffrey is over injuries. I know that he played all 16 games in 2017, but over the last three years, he's missed 11 games. Like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if he brings down near double digit touchdowns. I also wouldn't be surprised if he misses upwards of half the season. So well, that's something to keep in mind. Well, just from a standpoint of like the reason why I think that is, is because in Chicago, like I said, he was 80 receptions. He was 1,200 yards or more. So he's not being asked to do so much. Therefore, he's not carrying the team, carrying the workload. So he might be able to be able to stay a little bit healthier for that reason. But I do agree, obviously, he's missed a lot of time. Moving on to number 20, we have Browns wide receiver Josh Gordon. I have him down at 23, and that's just because of the abundance of pass catching options that are currently in Cleveland. They still have Corey Coleman. They brought on Jarvis Landry. They have David Njoku. They still have running back Duke Johnson. They have Carlos Hyde, who's proven that he can be a capable pass catcher in the past. They have Nick Chubb. It really seems like with those three running backs on the team that they're going to want to be a little bit more effective in the run game as well. But one of the main knocks on Gordon was that his new quarterback was going to be Tyrod Taylor, who's more looked at as a check down passer in the past. However, Tyrod Taylor actually has a higher average depth of target than Jay Cutler, who's known as one of the better or more frequent deep throwers in the league. So Tyrod Taylor isn't afraid to throw the ball down the field. It's just his situation on the bills the past few years hasn't put him in the position to do so. Or he's just selecting the right time to do so. Exactly. He's definitely a much safer quarterback than a lot of other players in the NFL and that reflects in his turnover column. So I do think that Gordon going in the late third round is a little bit early for me just because he's on a team that's so difficult to predict going into 2018. Combined with the recent news that the Browns and Des Bryant have been in talks for a one-year deal to bring another pass catcher into the mix there. So although I do love the talent, he's going too early for me. But perhaps if he drops into the mid-fourth round, and depending on what other options are there on the board, I would definitely have my eyes on Josh Gordon. Let's be real. The situation is not ideal. First of all, it's the Cleveland Browns. Second of all, there's a lot of pass catchers there. Third and finally, you know, just Josh Gordon himself, you know, he's a bit of a risky player. He, you know, he's missed a lot of time due to suspension. That being said, the talent is what needs to be looked at here. Because Mike kept commenting on the fact that if he falls into the fourth round, The thing that I don't know if he's realizing is that if Gordon can get a full season, if he has a capable quarterback, his skill set puts him at the top of the top of the league in as far as skill set for wide receivers. I'm not saying he's going to have the most production in this in the year, Mm -hmm. but he's right up there with a physical from the physical standpoint of skill, explosion, the ability to catch and run the, you know, playing the game. He's as good as any wide receiver in the game. Yeah, the He ta- showed us that before. Yeah, the talent is definitely there. and I'm more just focused on his current situation. But in the third round, you could find yourself with a guy who has a top five, top ten upside. Definitely. So in my opinion, that would be worth it. But you do have to gauge that accordingly because you can also get burned by him. You know, it is definitely a tricky pick. But coming in at number 20 for us, our consensus rankings, I think that's right where he belongs, you know, like not too high, but also don't sleep on Gordon either. He's yeah, I'm fine he is one of there. the best physical talents in the game. Next up on our list, number 21, we have Detroit Lions wide receiver Golden Tate. I personally love Tate. I think he's been one of the most consistent options. If you heard the quarterback episode, you know I have a man crush on Matthew Stafford for my fantasy team. So Tate typically goes along with that. He's currently going in the middle of the sixth round as the wide receiver 22 off the board. And I think that's a steal for him. He was the wide receiver 12 in 2017. He had the highest catch rate of all wide receivers that received 70 or more targets. And he's had at least 120 targets and 90 receptions in each of his last four seasons. In fact, he's had 1,000 yards in three of the last four seasons. So he's definitely a little bit more consistent in PPR formats because he can occasionally disappear for your team. He's not going to bring down all the touchdowns. He's not going to blow you away with weak winning performances. But just like Matthew Stafford, he is always going to be there to provide a solid wide receiver two option for your fantasy teams, especially going in the sixth round. I mean, that's a guy you can plug into your flex and not even have to worry about it week in and week out. Yeah, and this is where Mike and I definitely disagree, honestly, because he's always so high on Matt Stafford and their wide receivers, and 
I'm just not crazy about the Lions in general. I'm just not. Especially, like I said, I'm if I'm high on any Lion this year, it's on Johnson. And that's the run game, so not that doesn't usually bode well for the wide receivers if they switch up and put a little bit more through the run game. That being said, Golden Tate is a former Notre Dame alum, and I can't speak badly about a Notre Dame guy. In my opinion, he's not somebody that I'm targeting, but if I'm taking a Detroit Lions pass catcher, it would probably be Golden Tate if you can get him at the right value. If he is not there, and because we're not going to speak about this guy, the one Lions pass catcher that I would keep an eye on to get really good value in the last couple rounds might be Kenny Galladay. So he doesn't break our top 30 rankings, so we're not going to talk about him much. So I just figured I'd mention him here. Obviously, you have Marvin Jones and Golden Tate. Those are the top two uh, pass catching options in that offense. But I think Galladay can make a name for himself. He's got obviously tall, so they could use him inside the red zone. And he's pretty explosive. He's young, which bodes well. This is a young man's game. So if you can find Tate and Marvin Jones at the right price, that's great. If not, hold off, grab Galladay later. Up next in our consensus rankings at number 22 is Robert Woods, somebody that I'm super high on. I'm a big fan of. I actually have him at 17 in my own personal rankings. I might be a little biased being that he kind of helped save my season last year. You've heard us say before that last year I had a detrimental season with not only David Johnson going down, but also also Dalvin Cook. Luckily, with waiver wire signings of Alvin Kamara and Robert Woods, I was able to still make the playoffs and compete all season. And his stats aren't aren't jaw-dropping he had over 50 receptions 781 yards and five touchdowns definitely his best season but also not jaw-dropping like I said that being said it was his first year in LA it was his first year with Jared Goff it was his first year in that system he had to do some acclimating himself he had to do some get some learning and some adjusting and with another offseason and another year under his belt with Sean McVay with Jared Goff I think he's only going to improve I know the argument is that they signed Brandon Cooks to a huge deal and I get that but Brandon Cooks wasn't there last year he still has to get acclimated he's still has to get adjusted and for most guys you'll hear us talk about regression you know you'll talk about you'll hear about the top tier guys who have been super productive who are not going to be as good as this year this is a case where I just feel just the opposite I think he's going to improve on his 50 receptions I think he's going to improve on his 781 yards and maybe a little bit on his touchdowns. I don't think he'll get double digit touchdowns, but I can realistically see about six or seven. I'm personally much lower on Robert Woods going into 2018. I have him as my wide receiver 36. I do like his current ADPs going in the back of the eighth round, early ninth round. I don't think that's a bad spot to grab him. And I do think that the Rams like him. He was very consistent for their team last year. He was a big part of that offense. But I do think that the signing of Brandon Cooks this offseason is going to impact Woods' opportunity more than the other pass catchers on that team. And in our consensus rankings, we have Robert Woods coming in at number 22 and Brandon Cooks right behind him at number 23. This is another one of those situations where I typically would like to grab the cheaper player. And as mentioned, Robert Woods is going right around the ninth round, whereas Brandon Cooks is going at the back of the fourth. I think that is too high for Brandon Cooks, who's currently being drafted as if he's the definite number one pass catching option on that team. And although I do think that his talent is much better than that of Robert Woods. Sean McVay's offensive scheme last season was very efficient, and I don't see why they would want to change that around too much just to implement one player. And I do think there's too many people on that offense to feed consistently on a normal basis. You have Todd Gurley, you have Robert Woods, you have Cooper Cup, who was great in the slot last year. You have Gerald Everett, who I think is a very talented tight end. I could see him playing more of a Jordan Reed move tight end role for that team. For that reason, I'm kind of low on all of the pass catching options in LA. But being that Brandon Cooks is the most talented pass catching option on that team, I can't see myself expecting too much out of Robert Woods this season, even though I think he's going at a fair price in fantasy drafts. Yeah, and I think Mike's wrong here because, you know, I really do think Cooks is a one-trick pony. He can't really do much else besides, you know, run down the field and burn and, and burn it down the sideline. He, I also don't know if I'm the first person to ask this, but it seems like I might be. So he got traded away from New Orleans. He got traded away from New England. Is there something wrong with Brandon Cooks that we don't know about? Is he not a good team player? I don't know, but I know that they're rumoring how much Sean McVay is in love with him because of how fast he is and how explosive he is, and that's great. But 
you got to be able to win in the NFL more than just one way. And if he's not going to be able to do that because he's a one-trick pony, which I think he is, and maybe being that he hasn't played a single down yet, he hasn't had a game where he's gotten zero targets or something like that, so he's he's been happy. If he gets unhappy, is he somebody who complains? Is he somebody who creates a problem in the locker room? I don't know. I'm thinking yes, because he was traded away from two teams already in his career, and he's relatively young. And productive. You usually try to fight to keep that guy in your building if he's being productive and you still get rid of him. Two different buildings. Both of which, Sean Payton and Bill Belichick, obviously two of the best coaches in the NFL know what they're doing. I think it could be a problem with Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods. I get that he's not physically faster or, you know, more explosive, but sometimes consistency and just hard work on the field pays off. Like look at Mohamed Sanu. He's not the most talented, physically talented guy on the field, but he's consistently producing for Atlanta. The main thing that he does is he moves the chains. And that's what I think Robert Woods can do. You know, he can catch in, in traffic. He can, he can keep drives alive. And that's what's important in the NFL. So that's why I have Robert Woods over Brandon Cooks, because Cooks is kind of, you know, a one trick pony in my opinion. And you can figure him out. And if you have a physical cornerback and Xavier Rhodes or somebody, Richard Sherman, who they're going to have to play twice a year. So those physical corners can get in his face and press him. And Cooks isn't strong enough to really deal with that. So in my opinion, I'm not that high on Cooks. Definitely Robert Woods for me. And that is one knock that I have against Brandon Cooks. I do have him down at number 28 in my personal wide receiver rankings. And one thing that I looked at is I was attempting to evaluate some strength of schedule, which is very difficult to do, especially at this point in the offseason. Last year, if you saw that the Falcons were playing the Saints twice in the playoffs, you'd say, oh, great matchup. Let's get some Falcons so we have good playoffs matchups. How'd that turn out for you guys? Probably not very well. The Saints were stacked on defense last year. But what I have been looking at is the cornerbacks that Brandon Cooks is going to have to face. And he's going to have to face 12 guys that Pro Football Focus has ranked in the top 50 at the cornerback position, including four of those 12 guys that Pro Football Focus has ranked in the top five at the position. So definitely some very unfavorable matchups for Brandon Cooks going into 2018. Up next at number 24 is Juju Smith-Schuster, obviously the number two wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers. For me, I have him a little bit lower. I have him at 30, and that's just because he is a number two wide receiver, and Antonio Brown obviously is a target monster and a reception monster, as is Le'Veon Bell. He gets a ton of carries and a ton of receptions. I just feel like for the third option in the offense, there's definitely less available. There's definitely less opportunity. That being said, I also think he might not sure-handedly have the wide receiver two role in that offense locked down like people assume that he does. Don't get me wrong. I think he will and continue to get better and he could be their number two wide receiver. But James Washington will definitely at least press, if not for the wide receiver two, the wide receiver three and some of his targets. You know, Washington, they drafted in the second round. That's a pretty high pick. You usually try to get those guys involved and acclimated to the system right away. So yeah, I don't think Schuster is going to be as good as he was last year. So I have him a little bit further down. I have him at 30. But he comes in for us at, at our consensus for 24. I personally like that spot for Juju going into 2018. He is the automatic third option on that offense behind Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell. That's not counting new pass catching options that should get some work. As Dan mentioned, James Washington. They also signed tight end Vance McDonald this offseason, who I like as a late round flyer at the tight end position. So week to week consistency may be a little frustrating if you have him on your team. Also, last season, he ranked 55th amongst wide receivers and targets per game. He only received 5.6 targets. So I know Schuster is definitely going up towards the beginning of fantasy drafts, I think somewhere in the fourth or fifth rounds. So it's definitely tough to put high equity into a pick that you're not sure if they are going to get those high number of targets that you would be looking for. But he does have top 12 potential if Antonio Brown is forced to miss time for any reason. And looking at last season, Juju Smith-Schuster was a top seven wide receiver from week six through 17. So we've seen him do it before. We know the type of player that he can be. And I think that he's only going to continue to improve, build rapport with Ben Roethlisberger. He's on one of the most high-powered offenses in the NFL. So I think that's extremely fair to have him going at number 24. Moving on to our 25th ranked wide receiver, we have another Detroit Lions wide receiver, Marvin Jones. 
Jones is currently going in the late fifth round of fantasy drafts as the wide receiver 24 off the board. And last season, he finished right in front of his teammate, Golden Tate, as the wide receiver 11. And that was mainly on the back of his nine touchdowns. He has had 100 or more targets in each of his first two seasons with the Lions, but he has yet to eclipse 61 receptions. So in PPR leagues, I definitely prefer Golden Tate over him. And I do think that Kenny Galladay, as mentioned a little bit earlier, will threaten Marvin Jones's productivity way more than he will Tate's. Looking back at 2017, Marvin Jones played five games without Kenny Galladay on the field. In those games, he averaged 17.5 PPR points per game. Meanwhile, there were 11 games that Marvin Jones played with Kenny Galladay on the field. In those 11 games, Marvin Jones averaged 12.5 PPR points per game. That's a five-point difference with Galladay on the field versus when he's not. That's definitely something concerning as I think we both expect Galladay's role to increase at least a little bit going into his second year with the offense. But on the bright side for Marvin Jones from week 6 to 17 last year, he was the wide receiver 4 in fantasy scoring. And again, that was mainly on the back of those 9 touchdowns that he put up, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's right around that number again, even though wide receiver touchdowns are fairly difficult to predict. I feel that's more of his role on that team. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Marvin Jones. I said I'm not a big fan of any of the pass catchers. If you're going to go with one, go with the value, grab Galladay. So I'll move right on to number 26 in our consensus rankings. That is Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins, obviously, with the Kansas City Chiefs this year, bouncing around a little bit. I'm sure that's going to hurt his production. Obviously, every time you go to a new team, adjusting and getting acclimated to the system is always a process. Of course, we know the physical upside is there. He's a talented player. But Tariq Hill already in place, Kareem Hunt there. So if it wasn't for his physical talents, he would be outside of our top 30. But because he has some explosiveness to him and he can make pretty much all the catches and he can run pretty much every route, we have him a little bit higher. He just squeaks into our top 30 at 26. We definitely think he's going to be the number two behind Hill. And also with Kareem Hunt there, there's just not going to be too much left. Whatever is left over is going to go to Watkins. I think we're in agreement on that. But I just don't know how much is going to be left of the offense for him after Kareem Hunt and Tariq Hill. I'm not 100% convinced that Watkins is locked in as the number two behind Tyreek Hill. I wouldn't be surprised at the end of the season if we see him taking that lead wide receiver role in the Kansas City Chiefs offense. We know the talent is there. That's what he was drafted to be. We just haven't seen it in the NFL yet. So for that reason, we do have him behind Tyreek Hill. But last season, Sammy Watkins only had 70 targets. And of those 70 targets, he only caught 39 of them. So that's definitely concerning. You want to see that number a little bit higher. But with those low reception totals, he managed to pull down eight touchdowns. That's kind of what saved his fantasy season. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's in a similar situation going into 2018. I also wouldn't be surprised if his yardage went up a little bit. If he was right around 1,000 yards and seven touchdowns, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities for Sammy Watkins. Especially when you combine that with the fact that the Chiefs paid Watkins $50 million, making him the fourth highest paid wide receiver in the NFL. I don't think you do that to a player that you're only going to give 60 to 80 targets to throughout the course of the season. Some of us may have some negative views on Sammy Watkins in the past. I've definitely been burned by him multiple times. I keep drafting him every single year, so... Maybe I just don't learn my lesson, but I think that the talent is there. When he's healthy and when he is on the field, I can see the talent, and I'm still holding on to the hope that that's going to show through one of, one of these seasons. Moving on to number 27 in our consensus rankings is Robbie Anderson of the New York Jets. This is somebody that I'm super high on. Obviously, there was the scare of suspension being the off-field issues, and that's Obviously something that you need to track and be aware of, but 63 receptions, 941 yards, and 7 touchdowns last year. He is the best receiving option on the New York Jets, and still so. He's explosive, he's tall, he's fast, he's everything you really want in a wide receiver. He kind of went under the radar coming out of Temple, so I definitely think that he's exploding onto the scene last year, and he can continue to do so. He was kind of late to the party, so to speak, last year. He wasn't so hot in the beginning of the year. That's kind of why he didn't get to surpass a 1,000 yards or those double-digit touchdowns. But I think that could be a realistic possibility this year, especially if they make the move to Sam Darnold, and that's an upgrade. I'm not saying that it's definitely going to be an upgrade at the quarterback position, but when you trade up to the third overall pick and take a quarterback that looks like a franchise quarterback, you hope. It's a little bit of an improvement. It's a little bit of an, a little bit of an upgrade. And if that's the case, 
then I could definitely see improvement in Robbie Anderson. Just be mindful of the possible suspension coming his way. He was obviously cleared legally, but it just up to the NFL and at their discretion to see what they're going to do with it. I personally have Anderson just outside of my top 30. He comes in at 31 for me. We got to go back for a second here. Just pop it up on my phone. Robert Wood scores a touchdown off perfect throw from Jared Goff. So tell me now about Brandon Cooks being the number one guy there. In practice. <laughs> anyway, Anderson comes in at 31 for me just outside of my top 30. He did have a very solid 2017. And the main reason I have him outside of my top 30 is one, we're unsure of the quarterback situation. We don't know what his eligibility status is going to be come the start of the season. And I just don't think he's a very diverse wide receiver. I think he more just runs down the field, catches the ball, hopes to score a touchdown. And that showed last season, he had seven touchdowns. Six of those came from outside of the red zone. So I could definitely see some regression coming in that area. But he did make Josh McCown one of the best deep passers in the league last year. So even if he is a one-trick pony, he's pretty damn good at that one trick. And he had a six-game span where he finished in the top 24 at the wide receiver position last year. Three of those finishes, he was in the top 12. So obviously the talent is there. I know Quincy Anunwa is coming back this season, so we're not really sure what his involvement is going to be like. Terrell Pryor is still on the roster. I'm not worried about him. So I do think Robbie Anderson is somebody that could outperform where you'll be able to get him in drafts. I just think there's a little bit too much uncertainty on an offense that I'm not expecting to be great going into 2018. Also, with uh, Robbie Anderson, though, if you've been paying attention to the gang green over in New York and not so much the Saquon Barkley hype, I know the Jets get a little shadowed, but Todd Bowles has been adamant this year that Robbie Anderson has been excelling in practices and offseason workouts and that he's going to be a major part of the offense. Next up at number 28, we have another Cleveland Browns wide receiver, Jarvis Landry. Over his first four seasons in the NFL, he has not had less than 84 receptions, and in two of his first four seasons, he has had over 100 receptions. He's now going from a Miami Dolphins offense where he consistently saw 140 plus targets to a team where I think he'll have a tough time eclipsing 110 targets. Now, I do think he's a better player than how the Dolphins used him during the beginning of his career, and I think that he's going to play a similar role with the Browns. They have Josh Gordon, they have Corey Coleman, who are more of field stretcher type receivers, but I think there's going to be clear regression in his target numbers, which is obviously going to limit his receptions and yardage. Plus, I'm projecting clear touchdown regression for Landry. He basically doubled his career average last season with nine touchdowns. And just to speak to my projected drop in his targets, Landry currently averages 7.08 yards per target over his career. So as I said, I'm projecting right around 110 targets in 2018. So that would be just under 800 yards. And again, I'm expecting touchdown regression. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's right around six touchdowns. So 800 yards, six touchdowns. That's not somebody that I would be looking to take in the fourth or fifth round where he's currently going. Yeah, for his ADP, I'm not crazy about him. But I will say, I think he will be... I'm not saying he's going to have as many targets, like you said, 140 plus, but I think he still will be, if you are in PPR formats, he will be a monster for you as far as receptions. Just because he does something very well, and that's play the slot. And whether you have Tyrod Taylor, who, like we said, is a pretty safe quarterback, or the rookie in Baker Mayfield, it seems like a close wide receiver who can get the job done and kind of give you a safe target. I think Landry offers you that for both of those guys, and I think that is going to help him with his target and receptions staying up. Maybe not at 140, but over 100, I could totally see that. I agree with you as far as the um, touchdown regression, because I think obviously the more skilled pass catchers there with the bigger size is Josh Gordon, Corey Coleman, Najoku, and if they sign Des Bryant, that could not leave very much. That would mess. Red zone. That would mess everything up if they bring in Des Bryant now. That could leave not not much left in the red zone. But Jarvis Landry, like I said with Mohamed Sanu, he's a chain mover, which is huge, and he can play the slot, and that always garners a lot of targets right over the middle. Yeah, and I am a big fan of Jarvis Landry as a football player. I think it's a great move for the Cleveland Browns bringing him on. Just for the situation that he's currently in, he's not somebody that I would like to have on my fantasy teams in 2018 at his current price. Moving on to our 29th ranked wide receiver, we have Michael Crabtree. Crabtree comes in at number 24 for me. He's currently going in the back of the fourth round in fantasy drafts. I'm personally just a big fan of Crabtree. I think he's a good receiver. I think he's going to benefit on the Baltimore Ravens. I typically don't like wide receivers moving to new teams, but I could see him sliding in to his role there very well. He may have felt like he had a down year last season with the Oakland Raiders, but the two years prior to that, 
Michael Crabtree had 291 targets over those two seasons. Last season, he saw his targets drop to just 101. He'll now be the number one on the Baltimore Ravens. And I know there's concerns that Flacco likes to spread the ball around. No receiver on his offense has ever been targeted more than 137 times in the last 10 years. So I'm not expecting a high number of targets. I'm not expecting a high number of receptions. But I do think he'll be a safe wide receiver three with wide receiver two potential. Someone that could definitely be a dominant red zone threat for a team that really hasn't had that in a while. I don't like Crabtree. I don't like Flacco. (laughs) That's my analysis on that situation. The only guy in the Ravens offense I like is Alex Collins. That's just how I feel. So moving on to number 30. (laughs) (laughs) That's all we got, guys. Um, Is Devin Funches somebody that I'm very high on? Obviously, everybody's concerned with DJ Moore coming to town. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey and Greg Olson are already there. So yeah, you know, just as with a lot of these later ranked pass catchers, it might be hard to garner some top tier targets and top tier receptions. But at the same time, I don't think DJ Moore is just going to step in and be the number one wide receiver there. I still think Devin Funches is going to be the number one wide receiver. He's a big body guy. He could get it done in the red zone. He's more talented than I think people give him credit for. And I think Cam Newton likes that kind of jump ball, go up and get it kind of guy. He had that going with Kelvin Benjamin before they shipped Kelvin Benjamin out of there. So Devin Funches kind of gives you the same deal. So I think as far as wide receivers are concerned, he's going to be the number one. Now, am I aware that that's probably still going to make him the third receiving option in the offense behind Greg Olsen and Christian McCaffrey? Well, that's why at their respective positions, he's 30th. Christian McCaffrey was in our top 15. And Greg Olson will be in our top five. So there's a reason why he's outside. You know, he's a lot further back because he is probably the third option. But I do have him in way ahead of DJ Moore. Obviously, he's a rookie. Barely had an offseason with the Panthers. We'll have to learn and get acquainted to the system on the fly. So I just think Funches, more consistent, returning this year. I think he'll be a great player this year. My main knocks against Devin Funches, who comes in at number 35 on my wide receiver rankings, is just that I don't think he's going to be very consistent. I think he will put up some big weeks that you're going to be super happy that you started him on your team. But I think those weeks are going to be very difficult to project with Christian McCaffrey, with DJ Moore, who I'm really not thinking is going to be super involved on that offense, but he will be cutting in. And Greg Olson, I think, is going to be the real target monster on that team. I'm also not a big fan of where his targets are coming from. Cam Newton has not been the most accurate passer in the league. So being a third receiving option for a quarterback that hasn't been very accurate is what's keeping him out of that top 30 real wide receiver two consideration for me. But I see what Dan's saying. He does have the opportunity to put up some big weeks. And he's somebody that is going late enough in drafts where I definitely don't mind having him on my team as my hopefully fourth or fifth wide receiver, not somebody that I'm going to have to rely on week in and week out. Oh, yeah. Like I said, that's why he is back at 30, because he's not going to be, like you said, he's not going to be your first or second option at the position. Hopefully, if he is, you know, that means you probably stacked up at another position earlier. So you're grabbing wide receivers late, which means you got to draft a bunch of those guys that can be switched in and out week to week. And you're going to be relying more on playing the matchup at the position, which is fine. Obviously, you know, sometimes it works out better. Sometimes it works out worse than having a top tier guy. But yeah, Devin Funches, for me, I think people are sleeping on Devin Funches a little bit, and I think he'll be a lot better than, I think it'll be a pleasant surprise when you get to the end of the season and look at his stats. Now, before we end today's episode, myself and Dan, we're going to start breaking down the NFL divisions, picking which teams we are expecting to finish at the top and the bottom of those divisions, and kind of break down each team's situation just a little bit starting today with the NFC North. My personal pick to take this division in 2018, last season the Vikings were just one game away from making the Super Bowl. That was without their star running back Dalvin Cook. However, they still managed to dominate games on the ground with Latavius Murray, with Jarek McKinnon. So I definitely think the run game is going to be improved. Combine that with the addition of quarterback Kirk Cousins, who has a bevy of pass-catching options, and Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, Kyle Rudolph, who were all very consistent in 2017. I do think Kirk Cousins is going to elevate that offense as a whole. And I'm not denying the fact that Case Keenum played great in 2017. I understand that there's not going to be much of an improvement at the quarterback position. What I do think Kirk Cousins brings is 
brings a little bit more consistency to that offense, as well as the ability to win games with his arm, something that Case Keenum really lacked last season. On top of that, the Vikings are returning the majority of their defense that was extremely dominant last season. They were one of the top defenses in the league, which Pro Football Focus had ranked as the fourth best run defense. They had Harrison Smith with a run defense grade of 94.7. That was the highest in the league. They also have cornerback Trey Waynes returning and Linval Joseph, who were both extremely consistent. They're going to be returning and that's going to be a problem for the NFC North. To me, I know Aaron Rodgers wasn't there last year, but him coming back puts the Packers right at number one in that division. I get why the Vikings would be the clear choice for number one, but you're wrong. I know too well that an offensive coordinator leaving can definitely change a team. Even if you try to keep the same system in place, there's always adjustments, wrinkles, and terminology that has to be adjusted. So that's always a big change for a team. But looking back really at the Packers, they're much improved from last season. Obviously, you bring back Aaron Rodgers, you bring him in weapons as far as Jimmy Graham and St. Brown from Notre Dame. So the only real question with the offensive line being ranked in the top 10 at number 9 by Pro Football Focus is realistically just the run game. But to me, Ty Montgomery is a newer running back. He needed time to develop because he was so accustomed to playing the wide receiver position. That's over with. He's had another year to get used to the position and I think he's the best athlete in the group. Therefore, he'll be the one to come and emerge as the lead back. Then when you talk about their defense, according to Pro Football Focus, they have the number one ranked run defense in all of the NFL. You also add Muhammad Wilkerson to that stout front seven. You show off the back end with two top picks in Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson, both top-level cornerbacks in the draft this year. You really have everything going your way. You have the back end of the defense, the front end of the defense. You have the stud quarterback. You have the weapons around him. You got a good offensive line. They have everything you need. Everything's still in place that they would want to have in place. I don't see why they can't go back to being the reigning champ of the division. And I know that you alluded to the offense coordinator, Pat Shermer, leaving Minnesota to head over to the New York Giants. And you, probably better than anyone, being a Falcons fan with Kyle Shanahan leaving, you know the impact that that can have on an offense. I can't disagree with you there. But they are bringing in former Eagles quarterback coach John DiFilippo, who we saw the success that he had last season or over the past two years helping develop Carson Wentz, which is only going to benefit Kirk Cousins, is only going to help improve that offense, even if there are going to be some lags in communication earlier on in the season. I'm not worried about them getting that worked out. Another thing that I really like is Filippo was specifically targeting Cousins. Obviously, he was the top free agent quarterback on the market. Everybody wanted him. But going back to when Cousins was at the NFL Combine, Filippo speaks back to remembering his performance there and thinking that he was a star athlete all the way back then before we saw it in the NFL. So there definitely is some camaraderie there that should shine through in 2018. Also, the Vikings, I think, improved their team a lot through the draft this year. They took first-round defensive back Mike Hughes from UCF, who should be a solid young addition to pair with Xavier Rhodes in their already strong secondary, which Pro Football Focus has ranked sixth in the NFL. And in the second round, they took offensive tackle Brian O'Neill, who should fill the vacancy at right guard from Joe Berger retiring, or that'll be filled by Mike Remmers, who played at right guard for a stretch last season. Either way, whoever's not playing at right guard is going to be playing over at right tackle, and I think that offensive line is going to be even better in 2018. Unfortunately, I would have to disagree. I know that they brought in a rookie in the second round, but I don't see the offensive line as elite. I just don't. I don't see and I'm not impressed by any one player, let alone the whole group. So, and I think that's going to be their downfall this year. I think they do have a good run, running back in Dalvin Cook. I think they have the best quarterback they've had in a couple of years, but they don't have Aaron Rodgers. So yeah, Kirk Cousins is nice, but can he keep up with Aaron Rodgers? I'm not ready to say he can. I know the defense was stellar last year. I expect them returning most guys to stay stout up front, but the back end of the defense, I think you can beat those guys. I know some of them are some pretty big names. Xavier Rhodes is a stud and Harrison Smith is a stud. But I'm not crazy about Sandejo. I'm not crazy about the other cornerbacks. When you look at the whole team, I think the Packers have the better full team. And I have the Packers coming in second in that division. I'm not going to try and downplay the fact that Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in the game and what he can do to opposing defenses. But looking at his weapons, I know they have Jimmy Graham in the red zone. I know we've seen what Devontae Adams can do over the past two seasons. But the other targets that he has on that offense... 
I'm really not worried about an aging Randall Cobb that has had injury issues over the past few years. We haven't seen him do it. There's a lot of hype surrounding Geronimo Allison. Again, another guy that we really haven't seen be consistent at the NFL level. And for their running backs, I do have some positive outlooks. I think they are talented at doing specific things, but I don't think they have that one workhorse running back that's going to be able to dominate that backfield like the Minnesota Vikings do. I think that Dalvin Cook is going to be able to find his rhythm and really be a nightmare for opposing defenses throughout the entire season, which they will need. As you said, the Packers do have the number one run defense in the league, according to Pro Football Focus. But when you have an elite talent like Dalvin Cook, that's not something that's going to shy me away from projecting him to have a big game against them. Okay, guys, you heard both of our sides. Mike obviously takes the Vikings. I take the Packers. You guys weigh in on our social media, anything. Get in touch with us. Let us know what you think. I'm sticking with my with my, with my my guns here. I honestly think that the Packers will be the number one team in the division. And yeah, I got to stick with the Vikings on this one, but we'll see what happens come the 2018 season. Definitely looking forward to these matchups. They're great games every year, and it's going to be fun to watch regardless of the outcome. Moving on to the bottom half of this division, two teams that I don't think either of us think have a chance at coming in first place in this division. We have the Chicago Bears and the Detroit Lions. In this matchup, I'm taking the Detroit Lions. I feel like I'm basically a Lions fan with how these podcasts have been going over the past few weeks. I love Matthew Stafford. I love his pass catching options in Marvin Jones and Golden Tate. I think they're consistent year in and year out. And I do like the Lions defense. I think they are an underrated unit. Pro Football Focus has them as the 12th ranked secondary in the league with Darius Slay and Glover Quinn, who received grades of 88 and 89 respectively. So I think that they're going to continue to be dominant in the secondary, which is going to be crucial when you're playing a team that brought on a number of pass catching options as Chicago did this offseason. They have Allen Robinson, they have Taylor Gabriel, they have Trey Burton. And my main knock against them is that those are all new pieces to the offense. They have a new offensive coordinator. So the same argument that Dan was making against the Minnesota Vikings, I think that's going to carry over to the Chicago Bears. Consistency is a good thing in the NFL, and the Chicago Bears don't have a lot of that right now. While I do think the team is on the up and up, I think there's going to be some lag in 2018. And I'm really not buying into the hype that they're going to be this year's Rams. Unless you think that Mitchell Trubisky is Jared Goff and Matt Nagy is Sean McVay, I really can't project that for them this season. I'm not going to say that, you know, Matt Nagy is Sean McVay, and I'm not going to say that Mitch Trubisky is Jared Goff. I'm going to say that they're better. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. But I think what you have going on there is the right things coming together all at once. So I think the Bears could definitely finish ahead of the Lions. One little side note, I don't know how Mike feels about this division. I honestly feel that this division could be one of the best in football. I think from top to bottom, whether you're on Mike's side and you got the Vikings first, or you're on my side and you got the Packers first, or with Mike and the Lions and me and the Bears, no matter how you put it, I think all these teams are quality teams, and that can't be said about all divisions. Yeah, it's going to be a fun division to watch going into 2018. It's a division that there really hasn't been too much change except for what's going on on the Bears, but I think that's kind of a dark horse newcomer moving into the division to really just increase the overall competition. But back to the Bears, they needed that change. The good thing is they kept with the consistent number nine ranked run defense. They've had a solid front seven. They continue to do so. They even bolster it in the draft with Roquan Smith. Then they go and shore up the offensive line for Mitchell Trubisky in the second round with James Daniels. They had the 13th ranked offensive line by Pro Football Focus last year. And they're only going to get better with James Daniels going forward. You also, obviously, you mentioned Taylor Gabriel, Trey Burton, Anthony Miller, the new Allen Robinson, all the new weapons there. And don't forget Jordan Howard, a guy who I think is a top 10 running back in the NFL who a lot of guys sleep on. You want to talk about an elite level running back in Dalvin Cook from the Vikings. Jordan Howard might be better. In fact, right now, you should say that he's better because... He's done it in the NFL. I might be a fan of Dalvin Cook, and I might like his running style, but Jordan Howard has been doing it in the NFL. He has been very productive, and he is a top-tier guy. And the defense can only get better in the front end. In the back end, yes, I'll agree they have a little bit of a weakness, but it's not enough to deter you from the rest of the team. They had a one of the top-right safeties in Adrian Amos, so they still have quality players on that defense. Fuller, the cornerback, is also a still improving and growing 
cornerback. They're not horrible in the secondary. They might not be their strong suit, but they're strong everywhere else. As Mike alluded to earlier, it's hard to say that either of these two teams, the Lions or the Bears, are going to push for the top spot in the division, but that doesn't mean they're not trending in the right direction and they're not improving. In my opinion, the Lions are not doing that. The Bears are. The Bears are improving. They're getting better. The Lions, on the other hand, they we know what they are. They've been the same team. I get it. They bring in a new head coach in Matt Patricia. But Josh McDaniels struggled when he left New England. So there's no guarantee that he's going to be an effective coach in the NFL. You don't know. That's very difficult. And how many coaches, immediate winners in their first year head coach, not many. It's a very difficult thing to do. I think definitely the Lions, I'm the least impressed with. In my opinion, they're the bottom of the division. And I said that all these teams could be competitive playoff teams. If there's any team that I would put outside that, it would be the Lions. I just don't think that the Bears secondary is going to allow them to keep up with teams, especially the teams in this division that have a ton of strong pass catching options, including those that are on the Lions. I really am high on Marvin Jones and Golden Tate from an NFL perspective. I think that they are solid wide receivers and they're going to continue to do so. That's going to be hard for the Bears to keep up with. And quarterback Mitchell Trubisky, we really don't know what type of player he is yet. There were games last season where he didn't complete 10 passes. So we really haven't seen the playbook opened up for him yet. We don't know what kind of player he is. And we don't know how he's going to mesh with Matt Nagy's offense and all of the new additions to his team. He might not be able to connect with Allen Robinson. He might not be able to connect with Taylor Gabriel and Trey Burton. So for those reasons, for those uncertainties, that's the only reason why I have them at the bottom of the division. We can't say definitively that they are going to be a more improved team, even though I do think they're trending in the right direction. I don't think that is going to happen this year. That's all we got for you today, guys. Thanks for joining us. As always, we definitely appreciate it. Remember to stay tuned next week for our tight end episode. We'll be running down our top 12 tight ends. Thanks, guys. Yeah, and on next week's episode, we're definitely going to try and include some more segments not directly related to our rankings, maybe some draft strategy, maybe some deep dive players that we have positive outlooks for in 2018. So definitely remember to follow us on our social media accounts. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Football MD Pod. We're putting up tons of content over there. Also, if you have any questions that you would like to be featured on next week's episode of the podcast, you can submit them through our social media accounts. And if you want more of the Football MD Podcast, make sure you head over to footballmdpodcast.com to see our full player rankings. We're posting tons of articles over there, so definitely be sure to check that out. Thank you guys, and see you next week. <laughs>